Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15 minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. A very warm welcome uh, to all of you. Uh, I'm Catherine Battershill, I'm the Managing Director of Fund Boards Council. And um, welcome to this digital meeting, which is actually the first in a new series of digital meetings that we're going to be running, um, exploring important aspects of fund board composition, um, and in particular, exploring in detail each of the main roles of the board, um, starting today uh, starting today, obviously, with the uh, role of the fund board chair. Um, and then we'll be doing subsequent sessions later on in the year, looking in detail at um, independent directors and also the role of executive directors, including the CEO and SMF1 role. And really, all of this stems from um, a fairly significant piece of research work that FBC undertook recently um, to try and establish a really clear picture of just what the makeup of fund boards is looking like uh, today, and, and, and then tracking how it's how it will evolve over time, um, looking at things like the skills and functions represented on the board, um, board diversity, typical balance of independent and executive directors on these fund boards, um, and the extent to which uh, some fund boards have either already done so or are considering uh, making the transition from uh, executive to independent chair. Um, and those are just a few of the areas that we've looked at. And we've drawn together data and insights from more than 80 fund boards um, into a what we're calling the FBC composition database, which we hope that that sort of data and those insights um, from the database will help um, firms, uh, along with discussions like the one that we're going to have today, uh, to help inform and guide any decision making um, that you might be doing around your own uh, board composition, fund board composition over time. But as I say, today is all about focusing on the fund board chair and the role. Um, and we're going to be hearing from an assembled panel of highly experienced uh, non-executive and executive chairs uh, about just how that role is evolving and some of the key considerations when it comes to board composition um, that they're addressing. And you can read a lot more about uh, each of our panelists today in the bios that accompany this meeting. But let me just briefly introduce you to them. Um, joining us today, we have Carol Judd, who is the independent chair of BNY Mellon's Fund Board. Lawrence Munford, Distribution Governance Director and Executive Chair of M&G's Fund Board. Nicola Palios, Independent Chair at Thesis Unit Trust Management. And last but not least, Phil Wagstaff, who is the Non-Executive Chair at, at Jupiter Asset Management's Fund Board. So a very warm welcome to all of you. Thank you very much indeed for your uh, insights and expertise today. I know it's going to be a very interesting discussion. So now let me uh, let me hand over to Fundball Council's uh, CEO and chair for today's discussion, Shiv Taneja. Shiv, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Catherine. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for that very comprehensive and thorough introduction. Panel, are you ready? Because I know I am. Um, this conversation today, as Catherine pointed out, is going to be the first of a few. And I think we're at that point now, three years on from the market study, where there is a chance for us to take stock on an of a, take stock on a number of points, and I think a good place to start really is just the board composition and the role of the board, and we're going to start at the top with the role of the chair. Um, just to sort of get us nicely started, a simple question to get us going. So, Phil, I'll come to you first. Um, 
three years on, how have you seen the role of the fund board develop? And specifically in the context of everything that's taken place over the last three years, three and a half, four years, the role of the board chair. Thanks, Shiv. Um, well, I've been chairing fund boards probably for about 12, 13 years now. And during that time, it has developed a lot. Clearly, following the asset management market study, there was a significant shift. But I think most people on this webinar who were involved in fund boards at that time will probably reflect that it was much less formal a long time ago. Um, it was in many ways an afterthought, in particular, the composition of the board. It was uh, it was it was all internal. It was all executives of some form or another. It was quite rare to have non-executives on the boards. Um, when I actually had my uh, bilateral meeting during the AMMS study with the FCA, one of the things I was a proponent of was the introduction of non-executive directors because whichever way you cook it up, whichever way you look at it. Conflicts, whether they're real or perceived, people do believe that there is a there's a an inherent perceived conflict of having all executive directors. So I felt that it would be a good thing for for the perception of the board. So there's no question that boards have become more professional. I think it's an iterative process. Um, for example, on this call, you've got a number of chairs who are executive. You've got some non-executive, but not independent, like like myself, and you've got truly independent non-executive, and that that's a shifting. That's a shifting dynamic. Um, clearly, the other thing we had to do was we actually introduced non other non-executives to that board with a minimum requirement of two or 30%, uh, 25%. Uh, and that shifting as well. I think there is a, I think I see that developing even further to the point where we're going to be, I think, ultimately, more like a US model where the majority of directors are non-executive. We're not, we're not there yet. But if I think about where the regulator is going with their guidance and their hints, clearly it's it's totally acceptable at the moment to have um, to have an executive chair. But I see that has developed quite strongly over the last two or three years. Probably going back three years, two and a half years, probably only fifteen to twenty percent of chairs were were non-executive. Now it's more like sixty-five to seventy percent, and moving in that in that direction. So I don't think it's going to be long. Before, if you if your chair is executive, sorry to say this, Lawrence, you're coming on. But I think if we're going to be in that in that position, I think you'll be an outlier at that at that at that point. Um, I think there are a number of other things, if I can, just on the way that the chair has to operate on these boards that, that apply whether you're executive or, or non-executive. Uh, the first is the composition of the board. Have you got the right skill mix? Have you it's not 10 years ago where you gave somebody, oh, yeah, he's a good chap or he's a good lady. Let's give her a position on the board. You've got to think much harder about what is the skill set this individual is bringing to the board? Are they skilled in risk? Are they skilled in operations? Are they skilled in investments? Are they skilled in legal? And and is the board getting some of those other skills as advisors? And therefore, if you're having them as executives, are you are you replicating those skills? So. I think that that's a key consideration. Clearly, diversity of uh, a number of different attributes, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's a background, whether it's education, I think it's quite important to get different views. Uh, and I also think it's quite important to have people who have experience of the customer, because at the end of the day, this is these are, these boards are primarily governance roles. 
And we have to remember why we're there, why we're in the room. We're there to protect the interests of the customer. So having people understand who the customer is, the way the customer thinks, and what's important to the customer, I think is really important around those fun boards. So do people have experience of A, being a customer themselves, B, having distributed to customers, C, having advised customers? All of these things are perfectly valid routes to understanding what the customer outcome needs to be. So I think there's the construction of the board um, is, is really important. And then I hate to say it, I'm sure we'll come on to it later. The administration of the board is it's boring, but it's really important. How long are the meetings? How long are the papers? Are the papers getting to the point? Are we having death by PowerPoint every time we walk into the to the room? Are we having time for discussion to talk about what we really think for strategy? How are we educating the members of the board? Are we just giving them lots of data and expecting to make their own call without additional inputs? And to what extent are you as the chair setting the tone of the meeting? So the pace of the meeting, the discursiveness of the meeting, the professionalism of the meeting, all of these things now re really rest on the chair. Having, I do a couple of jobs. One is chair and one is non-executive director. And there is a world of difference between being the chair and just, and I say just, being a non-executive director in terms of your responsibility to make sure the meeting runs properly, the agenda, is, the agenda is set properly, that the key subjects are covered and that they're revisited and that the actions are taken. Uh, and that the minutes, believe it or not, it's boring, but the minutes do really have to reflect what went on at that meeting because clearly in any regulatory investigation of any type, they are discoverable uh, and they will be looked at. And you've got to make sure that what you discuss in the meeting is accurately represented in those minutes. So there's quite a lot of additional work, I think, being chair over and being non-exec directors. And that's not to deride the role just of the non-executive. So look, there's just a few thoughts, Shiv, out of the blocks. I've got lots more, obviously, but uh, just uh, that's how things, I think, have evolved over the last yep. two or three years. Thank you, Phil. No, you've given us a lot to think about. And I'll tell you what, you've certainly gladdened Catherine's heart. We have a big piece of work on board process, which we will you'll hear a great deal more about later uh, uh in the course not in the course of this meeting but in subsequent conversations um nicola i'd like to turn to you next ask you much the same sort of question i've just asked phil to reflect a little bit on but obviously you've got the added complication if i could put it that way of uh, being the chair of a host uh, uh fund board um can you give us your thoughts and just reflect a little bit about how that's, de uh, that's developed for you hmm. and indeed your board over the past three, four years? Yes, uh, certainly. I mean, I first of all, I agree with an awful lot of, of, of what Phil has just said. Um, but I think the perspective of, a, of an ACD chair is, is slightly different. One of the big changes that I've seen is that the regulators are becoming, I think, a lot more prescriptive one way or another regarding the board roles and what they want to see, um, you know, through the SMCR responsibilities, but also the, you know, the, the expansion of the roles that chairs have got to get more directly involved with, like the AOV, like the con consumer duty uh, and risk. At the same time, 
it, it appears to me you're seeing more involvement by the FCA, more frequent deep dives, you know, industry studies uh, coming in to do reviews and the need to provide audit trails for everything. And so to pick up on Phil's point about the administration side, I think that is becoming increasingly complex. The board packs, I'm, I'm seeing a real challenge between the FCA on the one hand saying to us you know your board pack should be smaller and yet on the other hand saying we need to see evidence that the board discussed and robustly challenged you know a, a an increasingly long list um of of subjects and and those two I think are, are very hard to to reconcile and I think the whole thing gets more complicated because this is happening at a time when two other things are happening. First of all, I think um, fund boards, like every other company, is seeing a lot more public scrutiny now. Um, the, the sort of way that social media has changed things and, and activists within the space have changed things is seeing a level of public scrutiny and challenge of things that, that businesses are doing. Um, and so the stakeholder management piece, I think, of the, of the chair role becomes more complex. But also, at the same time, the pace of change in the industry has just stepped up hugely. Uh, I mean, if you look at areas now like uh, ESG, like artificial intelligence and blockchain and cybersecurity, I think because of the way that technology has gone in particular, um, the pace of change in the industry is is ramping up. And I think it does put a lot of pressure on chairs of boards to be able to deal with all of those issues and, and pull them together in a, in a coherent way. I think to, to address your question specifically around the difference between an ACD chair, I think in, in the administrative sense, it can be a lot more complex because we're dealing with a lot more different funds and the needs to, you know, to make sure that all of those elements are um, addressed in all of them. But I think the benefit is that what you do see, particularly in evolving areas, is you get to see an awful lot of examples of how things are being tackled with different counterparties and different fund groups. And so um, you get, a, a, I, I think, um, a, a, an understanding of what good looks like, which can be very helpful. Um, you know, it's you get lots more reference points about how things are being dealt with and, and what is working. And, um, and and I think in, in a sort of rapidly and changing environment that that can be really useful. Thank you again. Lots uh, to pick up on, which we will come back to in subsequent questions. Uh, before I move on to the next question, Carol, did you have anything to add to what either Phil or Nicholas uh, said briefly? Yeah, so I think just building on on Phil's comment around the, the sort of the evolution of a fund board over the course of the the last three years, I think the, the biggest uh, change for me has been that previously it was very much secondary to the asset management board, mm. and you know almost like a poor relation and definitely an afterthought as as, as Phil Phil highlighted. Whereas now I think it's much more in the driver's seat, and I think the the big change that's happened over the course of the three years is. It's the understanding within the wider organization of the role of the fund board and that it's not just secondary to the sort of the asset management business. That to me has been been the really significant change. Absolutely. The primacy of the fund board, I think, as we've all come to as we've all come to know it. 
We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.